everybody. Blessings to you. Shalom. Peace be with you right now with you and your family. I hope you're doing well. Guys, I'm so excited. I just sent off my eighth essay or chapter to my editor, who happens to be my sister. And I just lucked out that I have a sister who's been an editor for magazines in the past. She's an incredible writer. She's so intimidating. And I thought, who better to send my book to? She has been wonderful um, sending me back edits. We are on about like the third round of edits for this stuff. Oh, my word. (laughs) It is such a long process. But I'm really excited because it's finally coming together and I'm so close. I want to completely finish the editing for this thing. And then I'm going to start the layout for the first essay, which I'm going to hopefully release in January. It is going to happen. Thanks for sticking with me for those of you that are waiting and anybody listening. I really appreciate you. Thank you. I thought it'd be fun this time of year to discuss the story of Yeshua's birth. Obviously, so many people, most of the Western world celebrates Christmas, whether they believe in God or not. This is such a giant time of year for people. It can be really stressful, actually. My husband and I were talking about the incredible burden that Christmas can be. We don't celebrate it in our home, but we do see family at this time of year. And we were remembering back to the days where we did celebrate it. And we had the tree and the presents and the pressure and, um, you know, everything had to be great. Everything had to feel perfect. A lot of people lose family members this time of year. So you're also dealing with family uh, issues of mourning and it can be a dark time for people. And to add to it, you're supposed to feel happy at this time of year. It's supposed to be just joyful and merry and jolly. And there's a lot going on psychologically this time of year. However, despite the fact that we do not celebrate what is called Christmas, we do celebrate the birth of Yeshua and his coming to tabernacle with us. And we usually do that during Sukkot, uh, during a different time of the year where we're thinking about the story of Christ. And we're just thinking about how amazing it is that God came to earth to be with us. What a wonderful, unbelievable, important event. And it is good to honor it. I really do believe that we should teach our children this story And there's a lot to this story. There's stuff. I mean, you can dig into this story and find there's danger and intrigue and giant history. And so I thought it'd be fun to share with you all a couple of things I've learned over the years that I never knew about the story of Christ's birth that really changed my view of some of the people who come along in the story. Who are the magi? Who are these wise men? Where did they come from? How did they know to do this? There's a lot there. So Let's just dig in. Let's go ahead and start talking about the Magi because I find them fascinating. Um, And I'm going to read from a couple of websites that I do think have a really have done a great job codifying some of this story. But there are pieces of this that I haven't been able to go back and fully find information on. So I'm just going to throw the ideas out there to you and you can chew on them a little bit. They're theories. Uh, right now, not not necessarily historical facts, but they're really interesting and they add a different element to this story. And by the way, there's probably more evidence for what I'm throwing out today than there is evidence that Yeshua was born on December 25th or that the Magi were there at his birth. They most certainly were not. Uh, A lot of this information has come out, but a lot of churches still celebrate the man-made traditional elements of this story that are not biblical. So let's just talk about what's really going on here and have some fun with it, Um, but also hopefully learn something. So the Magi are called wise men. 
And there are other people. There's another person in the Bible that's called a wise man from the east. He was from Babylon. And so these wise men, these magi are from the east. They're most likely from that same type of area, the Babylonian uh, situation. The first wise men we see in scripture that comes to mind is actually Daniel. And if you go hundreds of years earlier to the book of Daniel, you see Daniel is considered wise. He knows how to read dreams, read stars. He has lots and lots of historical information and he becomes the top wise man for some of the kings of Babylon. Not only that, he becomes likely very wealthy in this process. He becomes so well-respected. And if you read Daniel, you see that he has great standing with the kings that he works for. And that's because he is always accurate. He is able to read things correctly. Um, and I love the the story of Daniel is so fascinating. I mean, he has these cool encounters with angels. I would encourage you, if you don't know Daniel well, go read the book of Daniel. There's a lot of prophecy in it. But there's just he's just a fascinating character. He's considered a wise man, and he's a top wise man among other wise men. This is what a magi is. And so there is a really interesting connection that some people believe exists between Daniel uh, and Daniel as a magi, as a wise man, and the magi that come and find Christ. Likely they arrived when Yeshua was around two years old, in fact, not at his birth. They were likely there later than his birth. And that's just given the timeline of scripture. But there's this really fascinating theory out there that discusses the fact that Daniel was also a eunuch. And a eunuch, obviously, they were not going to have children. And he wasn't married. And so he had no one to give an inheritance to. But Daniel foresaw the coming of Christ. He knew he was going to come. And clearly was passing on information to the other wise men about how to see when Christ had arrived. And that information, that knowledge was likely passed down for a very long time. But more than that knowledge, it's some people believe that Daniel actually left gold, frankincense, and myrrh for Yeshua. And that once the wise men generations later saw the signs and were able to read the stars and knew that the time had come, they were going to take this inheritance that Daniel had left and take this inheritance to Christ. I think that is such a wonderful theory, and it's so beautiful, because why did they take gold, frankincense, and myrrh? How did they know that this would this would foretell what would happen to Yeshua as well? Well, Daniel was such a great prophet, and it is likely that it was his prophecies that informed the Magi for generations about the coming of Christ. If we think about these gifts, we think about how myrrh, is you and frankincense, they're used in embalming, right? They're used for healing. They really represent Christ as a healer, as God come to us to serve, but also they what will happen to him that he's going to die. And the gold gets used. And it was so needed. Right around the time that the Magi come and present these gifts, the king is issuing a decree that all two-year-old boys has to be have to be killed. And so we have this story play out again, the story of Moses when the Pharaoh says all the boys have to be killed. And Egypt, you know, the Nile River saves Moses. Well, in the same way, Mary and Joseph had to flee to Egypt to save Yeshua, to save this little boy. It was very likely that Mary and Joseph did not have any money. 
they were young. Their, the birth of Jesus was probably still scandalous in their community. They didn't have a ton of money. But suddenly these wise men appear and they have gold. And so that gold could be used for this trip to Egypt. What an incredible what incredible timing and how this story was established hundreds of years previous. And that there was these wise men who had retained this knowledge from hundreds of years previous and that it had stayed accurate. I find that really interesting because the knowledge of Christ's coming and how he would come was likely very old. How in the world did they keep that accurate? We have a hard time even playing telephone nowadays. Like our media is completely inaccurate all the time. They're constantly recanting stories. How did they do this? But it was very, very uh, important to the Hebrew mindset and to the Jews that they were accurate in their recounting of history and they're accurate when they're copying down the Torah. And this is why even many of the Dead Sea Scrolls that were discovered, we found that our Old Testament, so many books were in real alignment with these ancient documents. They hadn't changed much. That's good news. That means that this information can be relied upon, right? Anyways, these magi come and they are descendant likely from the wise man, Daniel. I think that's really cool. There's another piece of the story of Christ that Christ's birth that I think is so interesting, where he was born. So we have, you know, the angels come to the shepherds and they're singing and he's born in a stable and in a manger. And okay, right. We have the whole scene. However, where he was born in Bethlehem was in this this shepherd's field, the Tower of the Flock is what it was called. There's a location there where the sheep, they're, they're sheep herders, but they're special sheep herders. This is where the priests, young priests, would be keeping and tending flocks of sheep for sacrifice in the temple. This was a special group of shepherds with a special group of sheep. This happened in Bethlehem. And so the tower where these sheep were born is called Migdal Idar. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but Migdal Idar is the tower there. And so Yeshua is actually born in a location where the lambs for Passover were being raised and being born. He was actually born amongst the things that for hundreds of years had represented his coming. Not only that, but he was born to and the angels sang to the shepherds who would grow up in the priestly ways, who would observe what Yeshua would do later. You know, these guys would have been a little bit older than Yeshua, but they would have likely seen what he did in the Jewish community, would have seen his miracles, would have heard of his teachings, maybe would have remembered the angels that sang to them about his birth at this place. Isn't that amazing? It wasn't just a random place. It was very important that Yeshua was born there in Bethlehem, the royal city of David, at Migdal Idar, where the lambs for Passover were always kept. It's incredible. So in ancient times, this Migdalidar watchtower was used by the shepherds for protection from their enemies and wild beasts. In this sheltered building, which was once the royal compound of David, shepherd priests would bring in the ewes, which were about to bring forth their lambs. These special lambs became part of the unique temple flock used for the continual burnt offerings made at the temple and represented the price paid for Israel's redemption from sin. The Jewish Mishnah confirms that animals raised near the tower were indeed used for temple sacrifices. 
Migdal-Idar lay close to the temple in the land of Jerusalem, in the hamlet of Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. Yeshua says he's the bread of life. Here's another great little piece, right? Little nugget. Depending on which of the three possible areas today you think it was the original Migdal-Adar, it was no more than about one to two miles from Jerusalem. One of the priest's duties was to verify that the lambs were in conformity with the law and worthy to be used in such a setting. They had to be without blemish, no bones having been broken during birth or thereafter, and without any defect. It was also their job to swaddle the newborn lambs in linen when they came forth and to clothe them in white. The shepherds who kept them were men who were specifically trained for this royal priestly task. Wow. So we also see from where he is born a piece of his future. So he's born, he is swaddled in these clothes that these lambs have been swaddled in for such a long time. And that these priests, when the lambs were chosen, they had to be chosen perfectly. They had to look perfect, no blemishes, no broken bones. They were flawless when they were taken to be used in the temple. This is just like the moment where John the Baptist, who was a high priest, turns and he looks at Yeshua coming down to him and says, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John sees Yeshua and declares that he is the perfect sacrifice. A high priest had to declare that Yeshua was a perfect sacrifice for us, just like a high priest had to declare that the lambs for Passover and for sacrifice in the temple were perfect and without blemish. What an incredible picture we have of Yeshua's future in this place where he was born. So it's a little bit of a different setting. It's a little bit of a different story than we often get in our Christmas programming. It's so deep. And there is danger. And there's hundreds of years of setup, right? And it's something everyone has been looking forward to. He comes in such a small, humble way, and yet it is exactly the way he had to come to fulfill prophecy and also to infuse that prophecy into his future so that we can see how God, every detail of Scripture, how God has aligned things. Every time I learn this stuff, I realize only a God could set this story up. Only a God could make this story occur. And only a God could write a tale this deep and imbued with meaning. And I love that he shares it with us. And I love that there's always more to discover. So I hope those couple of pieces kind of inspire you about the story of Christ's birth this year, that you learn something that perhaps you go do a little bit of digging on your own to discover this and the timing of these things and who these people are that show up, these shepherds and these magi, and, and why? Why does the story play out this way? Well, everything in Scripture has meaning, and this story plays out with intense meaning as well. This is just evidence of how much God loves us and that he is smarter than we are, as Brad Scott always used to like to say. I love you guys. I hope whatever you're doing this holiday season that you are blessed, that you're growing, that you're learning. Always feel free to reach out to me with questions or with prayer requests. I will pray for you. Okay, till next